Chapters five to seven of Book Four of Toilers of the Sea, Part Two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Paul Adams. Toilers of the Sea, Part Two: Malicious Gilliatt by Victor Hugo, translated by W. Moy Thomas. Book Four: Pitfalls in the Way. Chapter Five: The Fatal Difference Between Six Inches and Two Feet. Gilliatt replaced the box in the girdle and placed the girdle in the pocket of his trousers. He left the skeleton among the crabs with the remains of the devilfish beside it. While he had been occupied with the devilfish and the skeleton, the rising tide had submerged the entrance to the cave. He was only enabled to leave it by plunging under the arched entrance. He got through without difficulty, for he knew the entrance well, and was master of these gymnastics in the sea. It is easy to understand the drama which had taken place there during the ten weeks preceding. One monster had preyed upon another, the devilfish had seized Clubin. These two embodiments of treachery had met in the inexorable darkness. There had been an encounter at the bottom of the sea, between these two compounds of mystery and watchfulness. The monster had destroyed the man, a horrible fulfilment of justice. The crab feeds on carrion, the devilfish on crabs. The devilfish seizes, as it passes, any swimming animal, an otter, a dog, a man if it can, sucks the blood and leaves the body at the bottom of the water. The crabs are the spider-formed scavengers of the sea. Putrefying flesh attracts them. They crowd round it, devour the body, and are in their turn consumed by the devilfish. Dead creatures disappear in the crab. The crab disappears in the pieuvre. This is the law which we have already pointed out. The devilfish had laid hold of him, and drowned him. Some wave had carried his body into the cave, and deposited it at the extremity of the inner cavern, where Gilliatt had discovered it. He returned searching among the rocks for sea-urchins and limpets. He had no desire for crabs. To have eaten them now would have seemed to him like feeding upon human flesh. For the rest, he thought of nothing but of eating what he could before starting nothing now interposed to prevent his departure great tempests are always followed by a calm which lasts sometimes several days there was therefore no danger from the sea gilliatt had resolved to leave the rocks on the following day it was important on account of the tide to keep the barrier between the two douvres during the night but he intended to remove it at daybreak to push the sloop out to sea and set sail for saint samson the light breeze which was blowing came from the south-west which was precisely the wind which he would want it was in the first quarter of the moon in the month of may the days were long when gilliatt having finished his wanderings among the rocks and appeased his appetite to some extent returned to the passage between the two douvres where he had left the sloop the sun had set the twilight was increased by that pale light which comes from a crescent moon. The tide had attained its height, and was beginning to ebb. The funnel, standing upright above the sloop, had been covered by the foam during the tempest with a coating of salt which glittered white in the light of the moon. 
This circumstance reminded Gilliatt that the storm had inundated the sloop, both with surf and rainwater, and that if he meant to start in the morning it would be necessary to bail it out. Before leaving to go in quest of crabs, he had ascertained that it had about six inches of water in the hold. The scoop which he used for the purpose would, he thought, be sufficient for throwing the water overboard. On arriving at the barrier, Gilliatt was struck with terror. There were nearly two feet of water in the sloop. A terrible discovery. The bark had sprung a leak. She had been making water gradually during his absence. Burdened as she was, two feet of water was a perilous addition. A little more, and she must inevitably founder. If he had returned but an hour later, he would probably have found nothing above water but the funnel and the mast there was not a minute to be lost in deliberation it was absolutely necessary to find the leakage stop it and then empty the vessel or at all events lighten it the pumps of the durande had been lost in the break-up of the wreck he was reduced to use the scoop of the bark to find the leak was the most urgent necessity gilliatt set to work immediately and without even giving himself time to dress he shivered but he no longer felt either hunger or cold the water continued to gain upon his vessel fortunately there was no wind the slightest swell would have been fatal the moon went down bent low and plunged in the water deeper than his waist he groped about for a long time he discovered the mischief at last during the gale at the critical moment when the sloop had swerved the strong bark had bumped and grazed rather violently on the rocks one of the projections of the little douvre had made a fracture in the starboard side of the hull the leak unluckily it might almost have been said maliciously had been made near the joint of the two riders a fact which joined with the fury of the hurricane had prevented him perceiving it during his dark and rapid survey in the high of the storm the fracture was alarming on account of its size but fortunately although the vessel was sunk lower than usual by the weight of water it was still above the ordinary water line at the moment when the accident had occurred the waves had rolled heavily into the defile and had flooded through the breach and the vessel had sunk a few inches under the additional weight so that even after the subsidence of the water the weight having raised the water line had kept the hold still under the surface hence the imminence of the danger but if he could succeed in stopping the leak he could empty the sloop the hole once staunched the vessel would rise to its usual water line the fracture would be above water and in this position the repair would be easy or at least possible he had still as we have already said his carpenter's tools in good condition but meanwhile what uncertainty must he not endure what perils what chances of accidents he heard the water rising inexorably one shock and all would have perished what misery seemed in store for him perhaps his endeavours were even now too late he reproached himself bitterly he thought that he ought to have seen the damage immediately the six inches of water in the hold ought to have suggested it to him he had been stupid enough to attribute these six inches of water to the rain and the foam he was angry with himself for having slept and eaten he taxed himself even with his weariness and almost with the storm and the dark night all seemed to him to have been his own fault 
these bitter self-reproaches filled his mind while engaged in his labour but they did not prevent his considering well the work he was engaged in the leak had been found that was the first step to staunch it was the second that was all that was possible for the moment joinery work cannot be carried on under water it was a favourable circumstance that the breach in the hull was in the space between the two chains which held the funnel fast on the starboard side the stuffing with which it was necessary to stop it could be fixed to these chains the water meanwhile was gaining its depth was now between two and three feet and it reached above his knees chapter six de profundis ad altum gilliatt had to his hand among his reserve of rigging for the sloop a pretty large tarpaulin furnished with long lanyards at the four corners he took this tarpaulin made fast the two corners by the lanyards to the two rings of the chains of the funnel on the same side as the leak and threw it over the gunwale the tarpaulin hung like a sheet between the little douvre and the bark and sunk in the water the pressure of the water endeavouring to enter into the hold kept it close to the hull upon the gap the heavier the pressure the closer the sail adhered it was stuck by the water itself right upon the fracture the wound of the bark was staunched the tarred canvas formed an effectual barrier between the interior of the hold and the waves without not a drop of water entered the leak was masked but was not stopped it was a respite only gilliatt took the scoop and began to bail the sloop it was time that she were lightened the labour warmed him a little but his weariness was extreme he was forced to acknowledge to himself that he could not complete the work of staunching the hold he had scarcely eaten anything and he had the humiliation of feeling himself exhausted he measured the progress of his work by the sinking of the level of water below his knees. The fall was slow. Moreover, the leakage was only interrupted. The evil was moderated, not repaired. The tarpaulin pushed into the gap, began to bulge inside, looking as if a fist were under the canvas, endeavouring to force it through the canvas strong and pitchy resisted but the swelling and the tension increased it was not certain that it would not give way and at any moment the swelling might become a rent the eruption of water must then recommence in such a case as the crews of vessels in distress know well there is no other remedy than stuffing the sailors take rags of every kind which they can find at hand everything in fact which in their language is called service and with this they push the bulging sailcloth as far as they can into the leak of this service gilliatt had none all the rags and tow which he had stored up had been used in his operations or carried away by the storm if necessary he might possibly have been able to find some remains by searching among the rocks the sloop was sufficiently lightened for him to leave it with safety for a quarter of an hour but how could he make this search without a light the darkness was complete there was no longer any moon nothing but the starry sky he had no dry tow with which to make a match no tallow to make a candle no fire to light one no lantern to shelter it from the wind 
in the sloop and among the rocks all was confused and indistinct he could hear the water lapping against the wounded hull but he could not even see the crack it was with his hands that he ascertained the bulging of the tarpaulin in that darkness it was impossible to make any useful search for rags of canvas or pieces of tow scattered among the breakers who could glean these waifs and strays without being able to see his path gilliatt looked sorrowfully at the sky all those stars he thought and yet no light the water in the bark having diminished the pressure from without increased the bulging of the canvas became larger and was still increasing like a frightful abscess ready to burst the situation which had been improved for a short time began to be threatening some means of stopping it effectually was absolutely necessary he had nothing left but his clothes which he had stretched to dry upon the projecting rocks of the little douvre he hastened to fetch them and placed them upon the gunwale of the sloop then he took his tarpaulin overcoat and kneeling in the water thrust it into the crevice and pushing the swelling of the sail outward emptied it of water to the tarpaulin coat he added the sheepskin then his guernsey shirt and then his jacket the whole received them all he had nothing left but his sailor's trousers which he took off and pushed in with the other articles this enlarged and strengthened the stuffing the stopper was made and it appeared to be sufficient these clothes passed evenly through the gap the sailcloth outside enveloping them the sea making an effort to enter pressed against the obstacle spread it over the gap and blocked it it was a sort of exterior compression inside the centre only of the bulging having been driven out there remained all around the gap and the stuffing just thrust through a sort of circular pad formed by the tarpaulin which was rendered still firmer by the irregularities of the fracture with which it had become entangled the leak was staunched but nothing could be more precarious those sharp splinters of the gap which fixed the tarpaulin might pierce it and make holes by which the water would enter while he could not even perceive it in the darkness there was little probability of the stoppage lasting until daylight gilliatt's anxiety changed its form but he felt it increasing at the same time that he found his strength leaving him he had again set to work to bail out the hold but his arms in spite of all his efforts could scarcely lift a scoopful of water he was naked and shivering he felt as if the end were now at hand one possible chance flashed across his mind there might be a sail in sight a fishing-boat which should by any accident be in the neighbourhood of the douvre might come to his assistance the moment had arrived when a helpmate was absolutely necessary with a man and a lantern all might yet be saved if there were two persons one might easily bail the vessel since the leak was temporarily staunched as soon as she could be relieved of this burden she would rise and regain her ordinary water-line the leak would then be above the surface of the water the repairs would be practicable and he would be able immediately to replace the stuff by a piece of planking and thus substitute for the temporary stoppage a complete repair if not it would be necessary to wait till daylight to wait the whole night long a delay which might prove ruinous if by chance some ship's lantern should be in sight gilliatt would be able to signal it from the height of the great douvre 
the weather was calm there was no wind or rolling sea there was a possibility of the figure of a man being observed moving against the background of the starry sky a captain of a ship or even the master of a fishing-boat would not be at night in the waters of the douvre without directing his glass upon the rock by way of precaution gilliatt hoped that some one might perceive him he climbed upon the wreck grasped the knotted rope and mounted upon the great douvre not a sail was visible around the horizon not a boat's lantern the wide expanse as far as i could reach was a desert no assistance was possible and no resistance possible gilliatt felt himself without resources a feeling which he had not felt until then a dark fatality was now his master with all his labour all his success all his courage he and his bark and his precious burden were about to become the sport of the waves he had no other means of continuing the struggle he became listless how could he prevent the tide from returning the water from rising the night from continuing the temporary stoppage which he had made was his sole reliance he had exhausted and stripped himself in constructing and completing it he could neither fortify nor add to it the stop-gap was such that it must remain as it was and every further effort was useless the apparatus hastily constructed was at the mercy of the waves how would this inert obstacle work it was this obstacle now not gilliatt which had to sustain the combat that handful of rags not that intelligence the swell of a wave would suffice to reopen the fracture more or less of pressure the whole question was comprised in that formula all depended upon a brute struggle between two mechanical quantities henceforth he could neither aid his auxiliary nor stop his enemy he was no longer any other than a mere spectator of this struggle which was one for him of life or death he who had ruled over it a supreme intelligence was at the last moment compelled to resign all to a mere blind resistance no trial no terror that he had yet undergone could bear comparison with this from the time when he had taken up his abode upon the douvre he had found himself environed and as it were possessed by solitude this solitude more than surrounded it enveloped him a thousand menaces at once had met him face to face the wind was always there ready to become furious the sea ready to roar there was no stopping that terrible mouth the wind no imprisoning that dread monster the sea and yet he had striven he a solitary man had combated hand to hand with the ocean had wrestled even with the tempest many other anxieties many other necessities had he made head against there was no form of distress with which he had not become familiar he had been compelled to execute great works without tools to move vast burdens without aid without science to resolve problems without provisions to find food without bed or roof to cover it to find shelter and sleep upon that solitary rock he had been subjected by turns to all the varied and cruel tortures of nature oftentimes a gentle mother not less often a pitiless destroyer 
he had conquered his isolation conquered hunger conquered thirst conquered cold conquered fever conquered labour conquered sleep he had encountered a mighty coalition of obstacles formed to bar his progress after his privations there were the elements after the sea the tempest after the tempest the devil-fish after the monster the spectre a dismal irony was then the end of all upon this rock whence he had thought to arise triumphant the spectre of clubin had only arisen to mock him with a hideous smile the grin of the spectre was well founded gilliatt saw himself ruined saw himself no less than clubin in the grasp of death winter famine fatigue the dismemberment of the wreck the removal of the machinery he had procured fire against hunger the shellfish of the rocks against thirst the rain against the difficulties of his great task industry and energy against the sea and the storm the breakwater against the devil-fish the knife but against the terrible leak he had no weapon the hurricane had bequeathed him the sinister farewell the last struggle the traitorous thrust the treacherous side-blow of the vanquished foe in its flight the tempest had turned and shot this arrow in the rear it was the final and deadly stab of his antagonist it was possible to combat with the tempest but how could he struggle with the insidious enemy who now attacked him if the stoppage gave way, if the leak reopened, nothing could prevent the sloop foundering. It would be the bursting of the ligature of the artery, and once under the water with its heavy burden, no power could raise it. The noble struggle, with two months' titanic labour, ended then in annihilation. To recommence would be impossible. He had neither forge nor materials at daylight in all probability he was about to see all his work sink slowly and irrecoverably into the gulf terrible to feel that sombre power beneath the sea snatched his prize from his hands with his bark engulfed no fate awaited him but to perish of hunger and cold like the poor shipwrecked sailor on the man-rock during two long months the intelligences which hover invisibly over the world had been the spectators of these things on one hand the wide expanse the waves the winds the lightnings the meteors on the other a man on one hand the sea on the other a human mind on the one hand the infinite on the other an atom the battle had been fierce and behold the abortive issues of these prodigies of valour thus did this heroism without parallel end in powerlessness thus ended in despair that formidable struggle that struggle of a nothing against all that iliad against one gilliatt gazed wildly into space he had no clothing he stood naked in the midst of that immensity 
Then, overwhelmed by the sense of that unknown infinity, like one bewildered by a strange persecution, confronting the shadows of night, in the presence of that impenetrable darkness, in the midst of the murmur of the waves, the swell, the foam, the breeze, under the clouds, under that vast diffusion of force, under that mysterious firmament of wings, of stars, of gulfs, having around him and beneath him the ocean, above him the constellation, under the great unfathomable deep he sank gave up the struggle lay down upon the rock his face towards the stars humbled and uplifting his joined hands towards the terrible depths he cried aloud have mercy weighed down to earth by that immensity he prayed he was there alone in the darkness upon the rock, in the midst of that sea, stricken down with exhaustion like one smitten by lightning, naked like the gladiator in the circus, save that for circus he had the vast horizon, instead of wild beasts the shadows of darkness, instead of the faces of the crowd the eyes of the unknown, instead of the vestals the stars, instead of Caesar the all-powerful. His whole being seemed to dissolve in cold, fatigue, powerlessness, prayer, and darkness, and his eyes closed. Chapter 7. The Appeal is Heard. Some hours passed. The sun rose in an unclouded sky. Its first ray shone upon a motionless form upon the great Douvre. It was Gilliatt he was still outstretched upon the rock he was naked cold and stiff but he did not shiver his closed eyelids were wan it would have been difficult for a beholder to say whether the form before him was not a corpse the sun seemed to look upon him if he were not dead he was already so near death that the slightest cold wind would have sufficed to extinguish life the wind began to breathe warm and animating it was the opening breath of may meanwhile the sun ascended in the deep blue sky its rays less horizontal flushed the sky its light became warmth it enveloped the slumbering form gilliatt moved not if he breathed it was only that feeble respiration which could scarcely tarnish the surface of a mirror the sun continued its ascent its rays striking less and less obliquely upon the naked man the gentle breeze which had been merely tepid became hot the rigid and naked body remained still without movement but the skin seemed less livid the sun approaching the zenith shone almost perpendicularly upon the plateau of the douvre a flood of light descended from the heavens the vast reflection from the glassy sea increased its splendour the rock itself imbibed the rays and warmed the sleeper a sigh raised his breast he lived the sun continued its gentle offices the wind which was already the breath of summer and of noon approached him like loving lips that breathed upon him softly gilliatt moved the peaceful calm upon the sea was perfect its murmur was like the droning of the nurse beside the sleeping infant the rock seemed cradled in the waves the sea-birds who knew that form fluttered above it 
not with their old wild astonishment, but with a sort of fraternal tenderness. They uttered plaintive cries. They seemed to be calling to him. A seamew, who no doubt knew him, was tame enough to come near him. It began to caw, as if speaking to him. The sleeper seemed not to hear. The bird hopped upon his shoulder and pecked his lips softly. Gilliatt opened his eyes. The birds dispersed, chattering wildly. Gilliatt arose, stretched himself like a roused lion, ran to the edge of the platform, and looked down into the space between the two douvres. The sloop was there, intact. The stoppage had held out. The sea had probably disturbed it, but little. All was saved. He was no longer weary. His powers had returned. His swoon had ended in a deep sleep. He descended and bailed out the sloop, emptied the hold, raised the leakage above the water-line, dressed himself, ate, drank some water, and was joyful. The gap in the side of his vessel, examined in broad daylight, proved to require more labour than he had thought. It was a serious fracture. The entire day was not too much for its repair. At daybreak on the morrow, after removing the barrier and reopening the entrance to the defile, dressed in the tattered clothing which had served to stop the leak, having about him Clubin's girdle and the seventy-five thousand francs, standing erect in the sloop, now repaired by the side of the machinery which he had rescued with a favourable breeze and a good sea, Gilliatt pushed off from the Douvre. He put the sloop's head for Guernsey. At the moment of his departure from the rocks, any one who had been there might have heard him singing in an undertone the air of Bonnie Dundee. End of chapter seven of book four. Recording by Paul Adams, www.yongai.com.